Hello and welcome to the Your Favourite Teacher podcast. Today we're going to be looking at the strange case of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. For additional support materials visit www.yourfavouriteteacher.com Today we shall examine the monstrous mystery that is Mr Edward Hyde. Hyde is the alter ego of Dr Jekyll and the villain of our story. Dr Jekyll treats Hyde as a completely separate person and alternates between referring to him in the first and third person, demonstrating his confusion over the dual nature of his identity. He has trouble accepting him. He, I say, I cannot say I, which shows his reluctance to acknowledge Hyde as part of his identity. He gives him a different name, furnishes a house for him and writes a will ensuring everything goes to him if something were to happen. Is this denial just for the outside world, or does this compartmentalising of his character help alleviate some of his guilt? In many ways, the characters contrast one another. Dr Jekyll is tall whilst Hyde is dwarfish. Jekyll is kind whilst Hyde is callous. Jekyll commands men's respect whilst Hyde is damnable. However, they are not complete opposites. They both share intelligence, and Jekyll is not completely blameless in this. It is Jekyll's indulgence in the dark side that sets this train into motion. Hyde embodies wickedness and creates a sense of unease in the people who encounter him. Whilst we learn at the end that he is a product of Jekyll's experimentations, we go through the majority of the novella extremely confused by the lack of humanity and the hold he has over Utterson's dear friend. Stevenson constantly portrays him as something to be feared. He is often linked with evil, and supposedly has Satan's signature upon his face, as if the devil has claimed him as one of his own making. The characters struggle to pin down what exactly is wrong with him. Enfield refers to him as downright detestable. He asserts that Hyde is deformed, ugly, and inspires an immediate revulsion, yet he cannot say why. Enfield's lack of eloquence sets a pattern for the novel. As no one, from Uston himself, to a witness describing Hyde to the police, can come up with an exact description of the man. Most people merely conclude that he appears ugly and deformed in some indefinable way. The failures of these characters to articulate what is wrong with Hyde adds to his mystery and intangibility. It's almost as if language itself fails when it comes to trying to get to grips with who Hyde is. He is beyond words, and he is beyond morality and conscience. Leaving no negotiation on the matter, he is guilty of various depraved deeds, and the first of which is his collision with the young girl whom he trampled calmly over. Stevenson's use of oxymoron here shows the cool air and lack of concern with which Hyde harms this girl something that would be shocking for anyone with an ounce of humanity. In chapter two, The Search for Mr Hyde, his deformity is illustrated through the adjectives pale and dwarfish, showing how he looks and the verbs hissing and snarled, showing how he acts. His lack of colour is unnatural and his snake-like actions would have implications of deception and evil deeds. He's regularly compared to an animal in some way, which may be a comment on the people and society. It's certainly a reference to Darwinian science, which was hugely influential to Stevenson. The Victorians liked their society to be civilised and rule-abiding. Anyone that acted on their impulses was considered primitive. 
Respectability was key, and perhaps without such divides between private and public, Dr Jekyll would never have had need to create Mr Hyde. Perhaps we are being forced to consider that this dark, impulsive side lies within us all. In Chapter 4, when his murder of an old defenceless Sir Danvers Carew is communicated to the police, he is said to have had a great flame of anger, like a madman. Stevenson uses subtly chosen language to convey the nature of Hyde's evil. He's described Hyde breaking out like a flame, suggesting that Hyde is fierce, angry and as uncontrollable as fire. Perhaps this outburst represents the result of suppression in Victorian societies. He clubbed him to the earth. His attack was with ape-like fury. Neither of these things suggest a cunning premeditated murder, but something primitive and reactive. Hyde, one could say, is pure id, a concept of Freudian psychoanalysis. He feels an unquenchable need to exercise his own aggression or whatever other desire he might be feeling. He has no ego to rationalise his behaviour. Whilst Hyde was initially created to satisfy Jekyll's urges without guilt or risk, he begins to become the most dominant part of the man. The dynamic between both men, despite them being, in fact, one man, is unusual from the outset. Hyde has more than a son's indifference and Jekyll more than a father's interest. Hyde wants to be separate from Jekyll, his creator, like a son wanting to gain independence. Jekyll grows resentful of the brute within him and tries to suppress it. Jekyll and Hyde's relationship becomes more complicated throughout. Hyde's terror of the gallows drives him to seek refuge in his dual identity with Jekyll. But Hyde also resents Jekyll and plays tricks on him, using his own handwriting to graffiti his books, for example. Jekyll is too full of hatred, yet can't help but pity his other half. Jekyll's identity has become so far beyond his own control that he's being bullied by his other half. This description of a dependent yet destructive relationship is a world away from the beginning of Jekyll's narrative that describes his belief that this duality is natural and normal. In Chapter 9, Lanyon gives an account of Hyde's nerves and frenzied actions, suggesting that this experiment is about to make or break him too. Hyde's language, as he warns Lanyon, echoes Lanyon's criticisms of Jekyll being unscientific and devilish. His mention of the devil forebodes that we are about to cross the boundary between science and the supernatural. In Chapter 10, Jekyll describes how Hyde had started taking over his body spontaneously. Thus far, Jekyll had believed that he could control this dual nature. He can be Hyde one day and Jekyll the next. Now, Jekyll begins to realise that he cannot control his spirit at all. Once Hyde has been released, there is no controlling him. Stevenson's description of Hyde's sudden, unexpected appearances here further parallels Freud's ideas about the relationship between the conscious and the unconscious mind. Mr Hyde's unexpected appearances evoke the way that the human id can take over at any time, no matter how vehemently you try and control it. At the same time, Stevenson presents this duality in a sickening way, with Hyde as evil even down to his appearance. He is shrunken, corded and hairy, contrasting the presumably healthy and wholesome Jekyll. If we're looking at the balance of good and evil, by this point, evil has well and truly won the battle. 
Perhaps it is the stronger side of all of us. On that super positive note, let's just sum up. Hyde is Jekyll's alter ego. He's presented as primitive, animalistic, and above all, evil. He is the villain of the story and represents the dark side of the human psyche and the consequence of Victorian suppression. Visit yourfavouriteteacher.com for videos, worksheets and everything you need to exceed in your studies. Thanks for listening!